And that's one of the things about religion that we have to remember when we're talking about that makes it such a, a hot topic issue is because we're talking about law. Who gets to be God? Who gets to be God's deputies? Who is the most high? Who is the divine authority? It's all about the claim to the most high. The only way that somebody can be higher than us is if we give away our power. Because there's nobody, we're all equal. But we're not equal in our knowledge, so ultimately, I think it does have to be a hierarchy, but it has to be a cooperative hierarchy, like a bee colony. We have to, it's about what our value system is, what we care about. Mind. Today is May 21st, 2020. I am your host, Nate Cap. Welcome to the Six Cubby Hole Podcast, where important topics are unveiled, discussed, and tested. Our website is cubbyhole.com. That's C-U-B-B-Y-W-H-O-L-E.com. Today we have another special guest and great friend of mine on the show. Her name is Leah McCormick. She is a student of natural law, objective morality, and the occult. Striving to teach Western esotericism and the occult, she has creatively developed her own newsletter called Hermetically Sealed, mostly for millennial women who are caught in the same New Age aesthetic trap she was once in as a young woman. Currently, she is on her way to become a pathologist assistant while co-creating a strong marriage and family with her husband in Idaho. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, of course. Awesome. So basically, I want to get into your hermetically sealed project. I know it's something that you've been working on and sending out information about hermetic principles that I find really important and beneficial. Can you tell us a little bit about these principles and why you started this enterprise? Yeah, so I'll probably start with telling you like why I decided to do this and then like what I'm currently working on. So a few months back, you were visiting us probably six months ago in November, and I kind of had this thought about doing something, doing the great work for myself, um, but I am not a very extroverted person. I have a difficult time talking to other people and actually doing this. I'm a little bit nervous um, just because public speaking is so difficult for me. Um, So I felt like writing was something that I was really good at and confident at. And I'm a strong writer. And I wanted to do something specifically for women. And there are some men that I send this to as well. But it's majority women, probably ages, I want to say 24 to 35 currently. They may get larger. And I do everything by hand, so it is a lot of work. Um, They're really awesome, by the way. I love the way that you put those together. Thanks. Um, I, again, am really for the aesthetic. And that is what when you said the aesthetic trap that I was in, I do really enjoy the aesthetic that I have always adopted. But um, like having the underlying knowledge of like what all of the symbolism is behind the occult and like, I guess, paganism and to an extent, new ageism. Is, has always been interesting to me. So I know that a lot of young women are really motivated currently by like the witchy aesthetic um, and new ageism and uh, reading tarot and astrology and uh, the zodiac, all of, all of those things that 
are the exoteric esoteric. So like things that are widely available to pretty much everyone. And I see a lot of misinformation. Um, I see a lot of incorrect blending of things like to be interested in tarot means you're a Satanist. And I really wanted to create something that was giving people information on one of the most basic but most fundamental things that you can learn about the esoteric. And it really will open the door for so many other things that you can learn. So um, Hermeticism is an ideology that began in ancient Egypt and Greece and then was revived in the early, like, well, the mid and middle ages, like the 1300s to the 1600s, so the beginning of the Renaissance. Um, and it was by Hermes the Trismegetus, I believe, is how you pronounce it. Yeah, I have um, trouble pronouncing that too. Yeah, I, my <laughs> mouth cannot make sounds. <laughs> so it is, I, I know what it is, yeah. but then I sound like an idiot when I say it. No, nah, you're, you're doing good. So he's the thrice greatest Hermes, um, and his teachings really are the, the laws that bind uh, the way that reality works. So if you look at, I know you've spoken to Dylan about a little bit of game theory, my husband. If you look at the world like a game, these principles are the, the rules in which the game can be played. Right. Um, so there are seven hermetic principles. I actually have the Kybalion on me, which is... Uh, a book that was written in the early 1900s about the Hermetic Principles. And the seven Hermetic Principles in order are the principle of mentalism, the principle of correspondence, the principle of vibration, the principle of polarity, the principle of rhythm, the principle of cause and effect, and the principle of gender. So all of these... Those are are seven. Those are seven. Seven seven Hermetic Principles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So all of these play into your life on the micro, so like on the individual level and then on the universal level. Um, And they can all be universally willed, much like uh, objective morality. And they, I mean, like once you know about the the, the hermetic principles, you can kind of know how to rule your own life, which is very interesting. And this is not like the secret. I know the secret is really popular with a lot of uh, boomer and Gen X women, and this is like not the secret. It's really just understanding uh, the law of the universe. It is universal law. Yeah. So the hermetically sealed. I know that you've sent out a few of those principles so yeah, far. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, What principles have you sent out, and which ones are you currently working on? So I have sent out the principle of mentalism and then the principle of, I just need to look really quick, the principle of correspondence. Currently, I am working on the principle of vibration. I have the art. I do all of the art for my newsletter as well. Um, So I have the art done for most of them. Um, I just haven't put them all together, mainly because my husband works and he um, helps me do all the formatting on the internet on the computer because um, I'm a 40 year old woman when it comes to computers Um, and he helps me with Photoshop but I do all of the art I then write everything on our PC and format it correctly and then I print them out Uh, I cut them down I put them in these nice envelopes and I wax yeah and I I wax seal them which is actually really fun but also I have burned myself with sealing wax so many times Um, and I use a really cool little G-square wax seal stamp which is really fun yeah i love that Uh, and one i get people have told me this gives off a harry potter vibe which like that is not even remotely what i'm going for it is more that like this is like care and attention and also wax seals are like so old but i also like it is artistic through and through the whole way and i really like doing art i do not consider myself 
uh, I'm an, I'm an amateur or hobby artist. I'm not like, I have so many friends that are really wonderful artists, but it has been, um, a challenge for myself in a really good way that I am putting out something to a lot of people that I know who are really wonderful artists and I'm showing them my art. And I'm, that's, that's a really gratifying experience for me, not just giving the information as well. Yeah. That's so cool. I love, I love that you're, you know, putting in that work to put that, this kind of information out there because it really is, uh, so important. And, you know, something that I really wanted to know is like, what kind of feedback are you getting from people? So the feedback has been really good. The majority of the people that I'm sending it out to are people that I know through social media. And they're usually people that I have interacted with somewhat frequently. There's varying degrees with each person. But for example, my friend Jean, she lives in the Catskills in a little tiny home and she sells her art. She does pyrography. So she like wood burns things. It's very cool. You've seen, we've That's got awesome. some pieces yeah. in our house. Awesome. And she keeps them taped to her um, workbench like right above where she works. So she is applying this to her life by probably having it right near her. She can read it whenever she wants. And she does have like the words showing. That's what I think is really cool is that she doesn't just have the image on the front. She has the back so she can actually read it whenever she wants. So the majority of the the feedback I've gotten has been really wonderful. Most people are giving me aesthetic feedback, which is interesting because I'm trying to get away from that. But the few people I've sent it out to who I have a really strong connection to are really wanting to talk about the principles and how I've been applying it to my life. And, you know, I have had people comment specifically on my relationship with my husband that they think that we have this like fairy tale relationship or we have a really easy relationship and that on the internet, everything looks really nice. And realistically, that is how it is in our house now. But We've been together almost five years, and the first few years of our relationship were really tumultuous. We did not communicate very well. And I think that's normal. We didn't have, um, you know, like knockout screaming fights or anything like that. We just had difficulty communicating. And uh, I think the more he and I have immersed ourselves in um, reading about the occult and teaching ourselves, uh, in teaching one another, and Dylan has taught me quite a lot as well and I've taught him, the better we are at communicating with one another. So like people see that and they're like, well, how do you, how, what are you applying in your, in your personal life that is, it is applying to your, your relationship. And I definitely think starting with the hermetic principles and, and objective morality and ethics have been um, probably the biggest thing to help us because we're really honest with one another. Yeah. That's where it all starts is uh, honesty. And, you know, communication seems to be in my opinion, the biggest problem in the whole universe. And I think that we all just uh, are misunderstood. And I think that for me and in my life, principles have helped me relate to people a lot easier. And it's definitely made me become more, not only honest, but attract more honest people into my life. So I definitely appreciate that work and you know i'm very thankful that i came across it so uh, across 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 it i did say <laughs> that right so, um yeah yeah <laughs> i always get that confused i i uh, catch myself saying across the street and I, i'm like nope that's not how you say that Nate. uh yeah but anyway one one of the things uh that you said what is it about millennial women you want them to know or be helped with and how do you select who you send to when you're sending these hermetic principles the thing that i would like millennial women to know is that 
they ought not to be interested in the occult and paganism and the occult not i mean like paganism is to an extent and new ageism i really hate that people are interested in new ageism they should be interested in it not for the aesthetic that it gives but what it is trying to teach you and that is what I am trying to do. I know the thing that I am sending out is aesthetically pleasing. Uh, I want to to do that so it looks professional and is something that someone can hold on to for a very long period of time, can even photocopy and give to someone else as well, because that ultimately would be really awesome that people are spreading it, spreading it um, organically without me. But I, I want I want women to have the tools that women have had in the past that have like really been hidden from us in the last probably 60 to 70 years, L- longer, but just with the onset of like third wave feminism and like the hippie movement and all of the things that came out of the last 60 years have really made women really unhappy and that's not to say I don't think every woman should be a homemaker because I don't think that every woman is able to do that and I don't think that that's feasible for a lot of people who live in places where cost of living is super high I'm lucky that I live in a state where uh, we have we live on one income very comfortably and I can be a homemaker currently that will clearly change when I start working but the fact that we don't have to worry about that is really nice but I don't know give give some people their own agency that they can really learn how to apply the occult in their life in a way that is positive and I don't mean like oh I think that satanism is the occult because like satanism is the occult it's the dark occult it is not going to help your life it's really like self-serving and uh, egoistic I think this is not just going to help you but you help turn other people on Uh, I think that's really important for people out there that don't know what the occult is. It is. It just simply means the hidden. Yes. So I just wanted to. Yeah, I know. No buzzwords. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. You're fine. You're fine. (laughs) But yeah, it, it is like the hidden knowledge that has been around for humanity for as long as humans have been human beings and not monkey people. It spans all religions and all cultures. Uh, you can look at even Hinduism and you can look at Western esotericism and they both have the same ideologies at their core. And they are showing you different stories of like Krishna or the Buddha or Jesus, but that is just an archetype. And people look at the occult now and they think that that equals like Satanism or witchcraft or atheism. And that is very strange because it is 100% rooted in spirituality and rooted in having some kind of higher consciousness than just the meat suit you uh, teetle around on. Right. Yeah. Before uh, I get into this next topic, what is it about mentalism that you find to be so important for all the rest of the hermetic principles? Well, it really embodies that like you are your mind. Um, And that everything is the mind and everything is the mental. So like once you can, this, I really don't want to sound like the secret because this is something that is like really, this is what's sold as the secret, you know, TM the secret, that you manifest whatever you need to through your thoughts and the universe does the same thing. And that we all are really a mycelial network of human beings. We are all one consciousness experiencing things from a thousand, a hundred million different uh, points, well, billions of different points, different uh, perspectives. And that you can put it out into the, what you put out into the world will come back at you. Um, and again, it's not like, oh, I want a Ferrari. And so if I like really will the fact that I want a Ferrari, I'm going to have a Ferrari because that's not how it works. It's more that like if I am an honest person and I am putting out into the world honesty and truth, that will come back at me. 
because I am attracting other truth. It's very interesting. Right. Something I really enjoy talking to you about is relationships, as whether they are intimate or family or friends. There is something really important about the esoteric relationships. What is it? What is an esoteric relationship and why is that so important? So the esoteric relationship, from my perspective, is really like having two people. All a relationship is is a relationship between two people. Like, yes, obviously you can have an extended family. um, But like, for example, I'll use my husband and I as an example, just because I live with him and uh, he's the closest person to me. We both are turned on to this. We both really want to do work on ourselves. So we understand the underlying principles that we are applying in our life must be applied to our relationship. Something that Dylan said to me recently was something that you had said to him, and he echoed it back at me in our relationship, that in, like, Freemasonry, I know Freemasonry, people think of, like, national treasure, but it is just part of the Western esoteric. It is, like, the symbolism. It's, it's like, uh, hieroglyphics for white people, basically. <laughs> That's basically what it is. Um, and it does use some kind of Egyptian imagery as well. But... um in Freemasonry, these men are considered builders. You are building um, your lodge with your fellow brotherhood. And Dylan said to me that he felt poorly about ever speaking to me ill, like in a, in a, in a not kind manner, because I'm a fellow builder. I am building this lodge that is my relationship with my husband. And that is what it is. When, when you look at your relationship, you should look at it as a building. You were building, first you build a foundation with someone and to have a sturdy, long lasting relationship with someone, you must build a strong foundation. If you have a foundation with a crack in it, your house is going to slide off the foundation. If it is built with like termite infested wood, it's not going to last. So you really need to build a strong foundation. And then once you start building the actual building, you are putting together rooms like this is where this room is going to go. This is a room that I no longer want us to use and it's off off limits to us. This is something that I cannot abide in our relationship, like lying or cheating, which is just another form of lying. So like you're really trying to build this really strong building that you can live in with someone for the rest of your life. And Dylan and I look at our relationship as a pyramid. One, because it represents like the three trinity, it's like the trinity, you know, of like the self, the spirit, and the mind. Um, like the body, the spirit, the mind, um, but also because a pyramid will last this the, through the test of time. If you look at the ancient pyramids of Giza, they look the exact same because while they have worn down, they wear down evenly on all sides at the same time. The top will always be pointed. The sides will always be uh, slanted in shape. So we look at our relationship as a pyramid and not everyone will look at it that way. But I mean, like, I think that applying that to our relationship and applying honesty in all ways shapes and forms um kindness and agape which is like the ultimate form of love it's it's all kinds of love it's fraternal love it's platonic love it's romantic love all and like parental love all folded in on one another uh to create this this cosmic love is how you build a relationship that's really strong i i the other thing that i've said to dylan recently um is that i feel like hermetically sealed the newsletter that I do is kind of my love letter to my husband because my husband really helped turn me on in a way not I mean not sexually I mean yes but (laughs) mentally (laughs) he helped me go from a really sad and 
deceitful person who did not know how to live their life very well. And it was a very dishonest person and, and manipulative and deceitful. And first he taught me ethics and he taught me morality. And then we both got into the occult together for the most part. There were things he knew about. There were things that I knew about. But Hermetically Sealed has been really my love letter to my husband. Like, you have taught me and you are my teacher and I have been your student. And I feel like now it is my turn to teach other people. And yes, it is not nearly as intimate and it is not nearly as intense because I'm not doing it face to face with these people. But I am helping them find a way to do it for themselves, which is really, really gratifying for me. One of the principles that I find very powerful in a relationship is the principle of polarity because it's about, obviously, in a relationship, you have two people. Well, polarity is, uh, you know, two opposites of the same thing. Yet, we are individual people and we are, we're unique and we find a way to make things work with each other and you know one of the reasons that so many relationships fail is because there is dishonesty and lack of communication so i feel that you know what you and dylan your husband are doing is very powerful in building a very healthy solid foundation so that way when you do bring another being into this world it's going to be very healthy and that's something we're going to get into uh, later on in the show but like I really like what you said about the pyramid relationship and I think that it's uh, something that I strive to be more like and I find it really interesting that you guys aren't even 30 years old yet and you've already created something very amazing and it's very awesome that I know people like you and I'm very thankful for that because it's something I just don't see I don't see this much in the world so I understand relationships are hard they take a lot of work whether you're whether it's an intimate relationship whether it's a friendship whether it's you know your parents um, yeah your parents it's like it is hard because we're all misunderstood we we just you know we're we're either dishonest or we you know we're we're dishonest with ourselves we lack the knowledge of communication and when we lack the knowledge we lack the understanding and so you know having these principles grounds us and brings us together and that's something that i have experienced i know that that's something you guys have experienced it's really powerful information to live by to align with yeah, we, uh, and that, that's something that I said earlier. Is I, when people are like, oh, wow, your relationship looks really good on the internet. Like, I, I was p- speaking to my friend Mara about this um, on the phone. She's like, the way that you post about your husband is like, he is just a perfect human being. And like, no, Dylan's not a perfect human being, nor am I. But we both have learned how to speak to one another, and we have, we have tempered one another in different ways. For example, when I met Dylan, you could tell me, like, a cat was hit by a car and like yeah that's sad but like I would be a chocolate mess I would be everything made me sad everything made me cry I cried constantly I was such an over emotional person to the point where it was such a detriment to me and Dylan on the other hand was not empathetic 
at all. Like I always tell this story. This was really early in our relationship. Dylan took me to get my tooth pulled and I, it was an emergency dentist and the dentist did not wait for my tooth to be numb to pull my tooth. And I felt the entire thing and it was very upsetting. And I was, not only was I in a lot of pain, like it was just such a bad toothache. I hadn't slept the night before. Um, but also I had this man yanking at my tooth and just not being kind to me at all. I was very upset, rightfully so. And Dylan got really angry at me because I was crying in public afterward. And this was, this was like a year into a relationship, maybe not even. So we both have tempered each other in really wonderful ways. He has become a really empathetic and emotional man. And I have become a really rationally minded woman. And we have helped one another do that for each other. On top of which, I had a really terrible problem with being truthful in our relationship. So much so that it almost ended our relationship about a month before my husband proposed to me. And it was over, the lie was over something really trivial. He caught me doing something embarrassing and I was trying to save face and it almost ruined our relationship. Not because the lie was so egregious because the thing that I lied about was like he would have made fun of me over the thing that I was doing and then it would have been over in about five minutes. It was that I decided to lie and I understand why he did that because if I can't be honest about that little thing that really just was an embarrassment and not that big of a deal, what could I be potentially able to lie about? Um, And I understand that. And so we, we have had our ups and downs like so many other people have. It's just that one, we both uh, are really st- stubborn people. Um, and two, we love each other very much. So like it, it really means something to me that I have someone in my life now who I hate the term ride or die because it's so goofy. But like really, he would do anything for me and I would do anything for him. And it's beyond just romantic love. Like he is my best friend. Uh, I feel like when we're in public and we both see something funny happen, we could just kind of have a telepathic conversation with our eyes. We have the same sense of humor. We love the same kind of music. We love the same movies. There's all these wonderful things. And then on top of it, we really know how to communicate with one another like you're speaking to yourself. I don't speak to Dylan in a way that I wouldn't speak to myself. And I'm really, really patient with him. And that's important. I think that's really hard for people to understand is having patience with the other person because they're trying just as hard as you are and like they're trying to be a builder with you. You're building the same building. So like why get angry, you know? Right. That's it. It's like if we're going to be in this relationship together, we have to find ways of being patient and, you know, listen. Yeah. And uh, listen not to respond but to understand. Yeah. Well, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I know that I've, we've told you about this a little bit. We have been meditating um, on entheogens for the last few months, like ritualistically. And I feel like we were on a level when we got married that was like, man, this can't be beat. We had a really awesome wedding. It was just the two of us. We eloped in the woods in Colorado. We didn't get, we, ha- we self-officiated our wedding. That was, I was like, this is the best day. It was the best day of my life. It is the best day of my life to this day. And I think it always will be one of my favorite days. But like, I was at a position uh, seven or eight months ago when we got married where I was like, this is, this is the pinnacle of my relationship. It can't get any better. And then we started doing this uh, meditating on entheogens. And man, it's like, I know a completely different person in like the best way possible. And really, we have worked through all of the small issues of like just living with an like cohabitating with another human being so gracefully in this time period 
Um, I know you remarked that we seemed to know like 10 times more information than the last time when we saw you, which was just in November and not very long ago. And I, I definitely believe it. That's one of the reasons is that we've been doing this like really deep meditation with one another. It's been uh, really gratifying. Yeah, it's very, very inspiring and very humbling. Thanks, dude. <laughs> um, it's, it's humbling for one another, for us as well. Like it has been such a treat to be able to do this with another person and that it's so reciprocal. I don't feel like I have to question my husband ever because I know that he only has my good intentions and his good intentions at heart, which is really powerful for me. Well, <clears throat> this is really important. Uh, this next question that I have is you're both in the works of co-creating a baby. Yeah. What types of measures are you doing to prepare for that, especially like in the condition of the state that oh, we're all yeah. in right now? So like even before coronavirus and all that started, we were not wanting to have a baby um, in a hospital, mainly because they're like the... The amount of medicalization that comes with being pregnant nowadays and that pregnancy has become a medical condition when it really is just like a state of existence is very interesting. We should not need all of the medical intervention that we do for just a regular, healthy, natural birth. Um, That's not to say there are women who have complications and need to have their babies in a hospital. That's not what I'm talking about. Those women are well within their rights to do that um, and need it for safety. But for example, since I was born in the last 20, well, I'm 28. So in the last 25 years, C-sections have gone from 5% of the births to 22% of births. That's yeah, it's disgusting. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and they, they do that because they want to get women in and out of the hospital like you're on a conveyor belt. They don't want to waste time. They don't want you laboring longer than they, they want to be dealing with you. So we already had discussed having a baby either at a birthing center or at home, depending on what my midwives thought, um, my mother had a narrow pelvis and she she pushed with my sister for like 36 hours or something really ridiculous. And then by the time I came along, they just decided to do a C-section because they did an emergency with my sister. Now, my sister was born feet first and they didn't know to flip her. So maybe my mom wouldn't have just been kicked in the cervix for hours and not been able to have a baby that way. I don't know. But I think that part of being able to have a baby naturally is being super in tune with your body so weightlifting is really good because you understand how to activate specific muscles doing yoga is really good both of those things um, and cardio as well is, is good as well although you can't do cardio like running really late in your pregnancy so really focusing on things like weightlifting not at heavy weight obviously and uh, yoga because you understand what muscle groups to activate and you can really learn how to like bear down and push as a woman. Um, so not having a baby in a hospital is going to be our thing. If the midwife says it's cool, we would like to do it at home. I'd like to do a water birth most likely. And also just like knowing what you're putting in your body. So I've been taking a prenatal supplement even before we started trying having a baby actively, because you should start doing that about a month before you're starting to try. So you have all of those nutrients like folic acid that a baby needs to create a healthy brain. Um, but taking supplements, I take krill oil i take fish oil as well i take uh, my multivitamin and i take coq10 which is good for fertility but i'm also really trying to cut back on any kind of 
excess processed foods that I may be eating. Not that I ate a lot beforehand, but I have, I know you and I have talked about this, um, a really gnarly sweet tooth. So trying to avoid those things and opt for fruit instead. Um, just really taking care of myself, not just because I'm going to be making a baby, but because those are things that you should be doing anyway, and it's adopting good habits. But it becomes much easier when you know, hey, I'm going to be making this person, and I need to be making it in the best environment possible. So that's like the physical side of it. The, um, The philosophical side of it is really like we don't want to put our kid in public school or school at all. Um, I had a really poor experience in school. I went to both public school and then a private Jewish school, and I was really horribly bullied um, just because I was a smart kid and a, a kind of a, a weird kid. And I had a lot of teachers that bullied me. A lot of the kids bullied me. And on top of it, I think that you're, when you put your kid in school eight hours a day for five days a week, well, isn't that your work schedule? Isn't that a 40-hour work week? Are, are you not just training your child to become a worker? Um, children don't learn that way. Children learn in, in a couple hour blocks a day of hands-on learning. Smaller children, at least older kids can sit down and learn a little bit differently. But focusing on giving our kids a lot of kinetic hands-on learning is what I'm going to be focusing on. I'm going to homeschool our kids. We're going to do like a blend of Reggio, Montessori, and Waldorf. These are all different teaching and uh, child rearing philosophies. We're not going to adopt every aspect of those things, but putting them into the way that we want to learn, teach, learn, we want to learn our kid, teach our kid how to live their life, Um, giving them a lot of space to be who they want to be as a person, but also really guiding them towards making good decisions for themselves, and not because it will make me happy, but because it will make like me as their parent, like oh, I'm I'm proud of you. Um, more that it will it, the good con- the good choices that they are making will bring good qu- consequences in their lives. So we're really going to be focusing on consequence consequence based parenting rather than punishment based parenting. Um, and I know you know who this guy is, but this this man he's a philosopher. He's he can be quite controversial. He's popular on YouTube. His name is Stefan Molyneux. But the thing that he got really popular for was peaceful parenting. And I think that that is like probably the most beneficial thing that person has put out into the world is treating your, he he came from a home of absolute abuse, both physical and emotional abuse. And really it is about treating your children as if they're another human being and rather than a kid, just a small learning person. So speaking to them, not yelling, not giving punishment, but rather, for example, oh, you broke your toy. Well, I'm not going to punish you for breaking it because that was the choice that you made. But now your toy is broken. We can see if we can fix it. But if we can't, your toy is broken. And that's the consequence of the behavior that you just exhibited. And also like talking to your kid with a a high modicum of respect. If you want your child to respect you, you must also respect them in turn. And I don't want my kid to look at me as their friend. I mean, I do in a sense, but I want my kid to look at me as their steward into adulthood. I think that's the most important thing. Well, it sounds like you guys are definitely on the right track, and I fully agree with everything that you're saying. I think that's really awesome that you guys have educated yourself and recognized uh, the things that are going to only benefit uh, you and your, you know, new the the new being that you're going to be bringing into your life. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, you say that you guys are going to, or that you're planning on doing home birthing. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to do uh, birthing in an actual, like, 
birthing center birthing center um i think it's a more intimate setting for both of us i mean i what we have decided is that if the midwife is like hey uh it's your first baby you may want to do it here one the hospital i mean where we live in idaho is is pretty small i i Idaho in general is pretty small but where we live the the birthing center that we would be going to is about a block from the hospital we're from my house is probably like six minutes from the hospital so really not that far but if something went wrong and i needed to be transferred to the midwives at the hospital here that would go a little bit quicker but the reason i want to do a home birth is i want to make it all about me and my husband and really like put it in our hands and make it responsibility for the one for one another like dylan and i have talked about who's gonna catch the baby and if we're not doing it where i'm like sitting up in water dylan wants to catch the baby i think that would be really cool i don't know i think that being at home would be really intimate and special and i know a few women who have done it and they've they had one of their babies in a birthing center and then they did their next kid or the next couple kids that they had at home and there was just something much more gratifying about doing it at home what are what are the dangers that you know about doing uh, or having births in a birthing center um i think the only thing that is super dangerous for women for the most part aside from like having a stillborn baby which like that's its own really horrible experience for mothers and fathers is that you can hemorrhage Um, and that's why i'd want to do it at a birthing center because that's a common thing that happens to women after they give birth is that you don't stop bleeding. And many women don't need any medical intervention when that happens. They just need to stay lie down, lying down for a period of time. Like I know a couple of women who've had their babies in birthing centers and ended up hemorrhaging and they were fine. But having it at a birthing center, you're not at the hospital. They don't catch the hemorrhaging as quickly. Um, you may need to be transferred or have the EMTs come in and give you a blood transfusion, which is pretty wild. Um, but I think that is probably the biggest one. I the way that mothers die in hospitals is usually neglect from the healthcare provider. Like their oxygen levels drop, weird shit like that. But also, I mean, a huge, a huge complication of pregnancy now is obesity, a general lack of taking care of yourself when you're pregnant. A lot of women just don't do any kind of exercise because, again, they're, they're taught that being pregnant is a condition and not just a state of being. So they're like, oh, I can't do anything because my baby. And really, if you think about it, women were out washing their clothes and like beating millet into flour in the Middle Ages and doing all of these really crazy, intense physical activity while pregnant um, because their husband is sowing their field or, you know, harvesting crop or selling his wares in the marketplace. So you are also responsible. You don't just get to stay home and eat bonbons, which is what a lot of women have been able to do for the last hundred years. You need to stay active. You don't look at it like a, a condition unless you have a medical underlying medical condition that comes with pregnancy, like preeclampsia or an incompetent cervix, any of those um, physical conditions that can come with being pregnant. If you have a healthy pregnancy, you, you pretty much can do most of what other human beings can do. You probably want to lift at lighter weight, but that's about it. How do you feel about mutilation in like when, genital in mutilation, genital mutilation and cutting the cord and the you know the creams on the eyes and the you know the blankets that babies are rolled up in the yeah. little chemically induced blankets yeah what what how do you feel about all that i mean it's all real weird that we do um i think the circumcision is so detrimental to men because you get like a weird i mean i don't have a penis obviously 
but you get a weird complex around your your genitals and there's actually this really interesting documentary about um, circumcision on netflix and this one uh, pediatrician said that he was seeing on average one botched circumcision revision because he would do revisions a week and that is pretty wild i don't know if you've ever seen the thing that they put the baby boys in to hold you down oh yeah uh, it's like that like, vacuum form plastic strap machine that holds your, like straps your baby down. There's another really odd misconception that babies don't feel pain. Like newborn infants don't feel pain. Uh, I don't know where that came from because clearly children scream when they're cut. Uh, little boys scream when they're having their penis circumcised. So I think it's really you, you, the first sexual interaction that your child will have is being sexually assaulted uh, in his first days of life and then having a very intimate part of his body cut off the part of your body that keeps the glands of your penis sensitive you remove basically all sexual pleasure from a man when you do that um, and men get really uncomfortable when you when you say this to them especially men who've been circumcised because they feel like it's a a judgment on them when really like you didn't make that decision it's it just goes along with like the same thing like ear piercing like why do people pierce their three-month-old baby girl's ears my mom did i don't wear my earrings ever not because like it's a protest it's like i don't i personally am not a person who likes to wear earrings so my mom did this thing to like dress me up and i know she's probably gonna listen to this um but that is what it is it is a it is an aesthetic choice and i didn't that, that my bodily autonomy was violated and that's the same thing you're doing, but to the nth degree when you circumcise a little boy. The eye creams and the, bla- the baby blankets and all the weird medical terminology apparatus that they put on kids is also really strange. That one, people don't know about the, the eye creams or the vitamin K injections that women get or any of the other odd things until they get pregnant uh, and then they experience it for themselves. That is like not something that is a lot a large public knowledge. So I think it's very strange. Like, why can't I just wipe the the placenta and birth goo off my baby and be done with it? Same thing goes for cutting the cord. I mean, I know you're when you when you cut the umbilical cord, you should wait until it is completely clear, like white and translucent, because that means all of the nutrients have flowed out of the umbilical cord into the baby. And a lot of hospitals don't do that. I know that when we have our baby and after I deliver the afterbirth after I deliver my placenta we want to have it powderized um, and I'm going to take it as a capsule just because it's really good for you and that's something that people will make fun of you for which is very strange it's part of your body um, and it's also full of an amazing amount of nutrients the removal of how visceral and primal it is to give birth and also how death happens the removal of that from Western culture is so sad because women really have that experience removed from them. It's sad. Uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a bizarre experience for sure. But um, you said that you're in training to become a pathologist assistant. And I'm wondering why did you decide that and what do you intend to do with it? Um, that's a question that probably started when I was living in Ohio. I like wanted to potentially go to school to be a funeral director or a mortician is the more colloquial term. Uh, and I quickly learned that you can read this really interesting um, 
essay from this woman. I think her name is Jessica Milgram, uh, but it's called The American Way of Death. I read that and then I was like, oh, I really actually don't just want to sell grieving family members caskets and upsell them on uh, flower arrangements because that's really what the, the American death industry is. I have always had a very deep fascination with death from the time I was young. So I like learned how to do some taxidermy when I was in my early 20s. I've just always had a, a very deep interest in, in death and like not from like a morbid pers- perspective like, oh, I'm going to die and this is all that there is and I'm so worried. It was more like this is a thing that everyone does. Every being on the planet will do it, how, no matter how small or how big you are. And it is the thing that gives your life momentum because if I don't have mo- like a thing to look towards the end, then what is the point of me doing any of this? And it's also something that people are really afraid of and don't want to face. So a pathologist is a doctor who specializes in um, pathologizing illnesses. So like diagnosing illnesses, working with pathological specimens. So things like cancer and other um, illnesses of the body. And then also the pathologist over, oversees um, autopsying. So the pathologist assistant is the person who basically does, you're like a nurse for the pathologist. You do all of the nitty-gritty stuff for the pathologist. So let's say a surgeon is removing a portion of someone's liver that has a tumor on it. They are unsure what kind of tumor it is. They could not biopsy it because of where the tissue was inside of the liver at the time that it was in the body. And they need me to figure out if this is a benign or a malignant tumor. So they will send me the specimen. They will send me like the entire portion of the liver. They'll send it down to my lab. Um, I will then gross it, which means you'll cut it open and look for that pathological specimen. And then I prepare it for it to be on, put onto a slide. Um, I'm not the person who's looking at the slide. The histologist is. This is another person in the line of diagnosis. But I'm part of that. And then the other thing that I will be partaking in is autopsy. So I basically will, me and any other pathologist assistant that I work with, will be performing pretty much the entire autopsy. And because I am not a medical doctor, I do not get to sign off on someone's cause of death. Um, I then get to present my findings to the overseeing pathologist, and he will write up the final paperwork that says, oh, this is the reason why this person died. So there are like a few things that I could do with this. I can work in a clinical setting in a hospital, which is likely what I'll end up doing. Um, I can work for the government, which I'm absolutely not interested in doing. So I could work for like the county coroner's office. Um, and then I can also work for a private laboratory, laboratory, laboratory. <laughs> I can work for a private laboratory where um, I'm, I'm grossing a, a high amount of, like a, mo- a very large amount of specimens. So currently I'm getting my undergrad in medical science. Um, I'll then go to a school that's in the north part of our state. Well, it's technically in Washington, but it's on the border of Idaho and Washington. And I'll go to school there um, and then I'll start working when that's finished. We're, the way that we have planned this out is that I likely will be done with school by the time our kids are probably anywhere from the ages of like four and seven with like the younger one being closer to four, the older one being closer to seven, um, potentially sooner. But we want me to school our younger children and then Dylan and I will kind of switch off and he will be doing the majority of education with the older kids, mainly because I have a lot of patience for a little kid and I don't know. Dylan may be like, I can't. We've we've listened to this one song eight times today. 
I can't do it anymore because I don't know if you know anything about little kids, but they like listening to the same songs mm-hmm. on repeat. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So that's the reason I wanted to do it is my one, my fascination with death. Two, I do want to help people. And I think that that's a really helpful part of society that I am a part of, um, that I'm helping people who are ill figure out why or what they are ill with. And I'm also a very, again, what I said in the beginning, I'm a very introverted person. I have no interest in being a doctor. I don't want to touch live people, which is really funny. Most people are like, ew, you want to touch a dead body? Yeah, I mean, that I don't have to be nice to the dead body. I don't have to do small talk or talk about the weather or coronavirus with the dead body. <laughs> um, they are just there, and I am working around them. So I'm able to help, and I don't have to deal with the public, which, like, it's the best of both worlds. And it's science. I'm very interested in science and the human body the human body is so fascinating so the fact that i get to like dig around in people um is cool that is really fascinating yeah that's uh pretty awesome thanks dude i i definitely would like to have you back on once you know maybe we could do a whole segment on that oh yeah that would be awesome material because you know i find the human anatomy very very interesting and it's something that is very sacred that most people don't talk about and you know there's a lot to uh that i think people should understand about how the body functions and the organs and how they definitely relate to a lot of our language of today lastly What is one thing that you feel is important for young women to know about being responsible? Um, That is a very interesting question. I think it is important that young women take responsibility for themselves. So much of our culture is about laying misfortune or the responsibility of others, of yourself at the feet of others, rather. So I cannot do this because the patriarchy has kept me down. Or I cannot do this because the government, I mean, the government does keep you down, but like the government has kept me as a woman down specifically because I'm a woman. The government wants to keep all of us down. So really recognizing that you have a power in yourself to learn, to be interested in something, not just for the surface that it, uh, the surface level interaction that you're having with it, the aesthetic interaction you're having with it. Um, I know that I will get a lot of flack for this, but I know a lot of most, many women that I know, and I'm not saying all, many women that I know are very, um, aesthetically driven and that is important. I mean, aesthetics are a a branch of philosophy, but aesthetics are not the thing that should drive you in life. You should really be taking responsibility for yourself and do all that you can to be the best person that you can be so that you can give that gift to other people just by interacting with them. I have found that learning the occult and learning natural law and learning objective morality have made me a better person and I can give my best self to other people. And I know that with my generation, with your generation, and I'm seeing with some young people, people younger than us, the Generation Z, that moral relativism is super popular and is applied in so many different ways and that one will not make you a whole person but you are also giving this to other people and you are giving other people lies and deception and uh all of the really evil things that come with not being a morally uh upstanding person and i don't mean like being a christian person i mean just being honest in all ways shapes and form so really i think that it is important for young women to learn how to be honest 
because I don't think a lot of women know how to be honest. Yeah, that's, uh, that is key is honesty and something that has been brought up quite a few times, including today is morality uh, or objective morality. And it's something that we are definitely going to get into on this show probably for the rest of these shows. Yeah. Because it is one of the most important things for people to understand. And it's not man-made. And that's what's really difficult for people to wrap their head around. But we're going to do our best here on this show to help everyone who does have trouble understanding that find or discover the methods that can help us see that it is a law that is bound to each and every one of us throughout the whole universe. And I think that you have really touched on a lot of really important things in our life that I find to be very powerful when it comes to communication and relationships. So so I want to say thank you for being real, being honest, being, you know, who you are and taking the time to learn these these principles and, you know, finding who you are and, and you know, building a, fo- a solid foundation with uh, your your husband and your friends, me and, you know, taking the time out to do this this whole podcast. Absolutely. I think, I think it's really awesome. I appreciate you having me on. I'm really excited to see where you go with this. I, I'm really uh, excited that, you know, you're someone who's trying to inspire younger women. And, you know, it's something that I strive to do as well because, uh, I mean, you know, not just women, but all people. And I just know that this is what it takes. You know, if you're a woman out there who is striving to see women have a better life and suffer less this is really the work that you have to do you have to understand a high degree of who you are and love yourself enough to be able to help others and then spread this information i mean that's really what this is about is spreading this type of information so that others can have a chance to you know really see the bigger picture and you know, we're all connected. We're all in this together and we're all unique people and we definitely need each other. Absolutely. So. I really appreciate it, dude. Thank you uh, so much for having me on. And uh, I'm, like I said, I'm really excited to see what you do with this. Um, I'd love to come back and talk to you whenever you'd like to have me on. And, oh, can I plug myself? Of course. <laughs> Gross. Oh. Um, uh, you can find me on Instagram at hermetically sealed that's h-e-r-m-e-t-i-c-a-l-l-y-s-e-a-l-e-d hermetically sealed and that's where you can find me if you'd like to get one in the mail you can always direct message me on instagram i i only the only i i this is free um the only thing that i ask is that if if you do want to give any kind of donation it's like if you can send me five bucks for um postage uh, usually when I send one out, I get probably $15 in donations, probably from like two to three people. Um, and that helps me with postage. And that's like really the only thing that I ever ask for. I do it for free because it is really important to me. And, you know, that might seem like a, a small amount, 
of people or, you know, the principles that she has sent out. But honestly, it's one of the biggest things that anybody could ever do because this information, it's not like this information is like the end all be all information. It's these, this information is when it comes to the Kybalion and the three initiates, uh, which is the hermetic principles. These are the principles that are a foundation for how to understand who we are and and what this all means. So that is uh, that's all the time we have today, guys. So we hope that this show was beneficial and valuable. And you can find more shows, news, and videos at cubbyhole.com. That's C-U-B-B-Y-W-H-O-L-E.com. So thank you and have a great day.